Totally Football Show on the morning after the Night of the Long Knives. These are hard times for the heavy rotation proper football man. Sam Allardyce is out. David Moyes is out. Mark Hughes is sweating every time the phone rings. Did you see that England World Cup squad announcement? A load of shouty, overexcited children in tracksuits, few of whom were even alive for World Cup 98. <laughs> but enough about the players. Did you see that video? We've got actual football to discuss as well, with all the reaction to last night's rather one-sided big game. Just how did Rotherham make such short work of Scunthorpe? It's all on the Totally Football Show. Now, the sharpery among you will have noticed uh, James Richardson isn't on today. Uh, he is, for reasons that will become clear soon, uh, busy looking at model railways. Um, so, producer Ben would like me to thank you for choo-choo-choosing the Totally Football yeah. Show today, you see. In fact, in my notes, producer Ben is, is asking me to refer to myself as the fat controller which I can only interpret as a desire for him to reacquaint himself with the jobs market. But on that line, I am joined by the little blue engine, Matt Davis. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I'll take that. You're from Chelsea TV, you All right, see? yeah, I get it. Yeah, How are you? Nice. You all right? I'm very well, thank you. How are Excellent. you? Excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get by. Good. I get by. Daniel Story, the Nottingham Express, because you come down on a train to do the show. Yeah, from Loughborough, so that yeah, works. there you go. <laughs> And the smooth, <laughs> continental and ever-punctual TGV from Paris, Thank you. Mr Julien Laurent. Thank you very much. Let's get straight on, working my way through all these train things. Um, two managers down, Sam Allardyce and David Moyes. Let's start with Sam Allardyce. He took over an Everton side, Daniel, that were you know, justifiably concerned about relegation. They finished eighth. Um, surely this is harsh. It's not harsh, is it? It's really not that... I know there is always a culture of be careful what you wish for that is advised by non-fans of a club towards fans of a club. Um, but this, to me, is the most ridiculous. If you look at it from the outside, he's done a decent job. There's no doubt about that. On the pitch, they've been fine. I don't think they were in relegation trouble when he took over. If they were 13th and they were three points off ninth, so I don't think they were in trouble. But he has done a decent job. But if you even try and scratch below the surface... Um, you can see why Everton fans are incredibly disillusioned. He, he's made no effort to play the football that Everton hoped he would do. He's made no effort to ingratiate himself into supporters' eyes. He's made no effort to um, look like a long-term appointment, despite himself constantly talking himself up for as a long-term appointment. And Everton want better, and Everton's fans want better, and they've every right to do so. Andy Hunter in The Guardian says uh, Everton conceded alarming 27 goals in the 10 games before Allardyce's arrival, but the same amount over the next 20. So, you know, there's what he did well. But defensive organisation apart, his average points return over 24 Premier League matches was almost identical to Unsworth's over five, 1.41 per game to 1.4. And there was not one impressive performance among them. Matt, that's really why he's gone, isn't it? It's because it was terrible to watch. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, he... he not for the first time in his career, he's sort of shot himself in the foot with his attitude and the way that he's conducted himself while in position because you could, he could make a case to defend how they played this season if he said, 
But, you know, this was a case of needs must. You know, he'd waited for so long to get this opportunity at, at a biggish sized club. And he proved that he wasn't capable of, of changing the way that he plays football, you know, whether it's Crystal Palace or or Everton. So that's why he's gone. They also had the fewest shots on target of any team in the league under him. Um, and th- little things like Adam Ola-Lukman's made him look a bit daft, I think. You know, going, going to the Bundesliga and doing really well when he couldn't sometimes even get on the bench under Allardyce. So... This was his big chance. I mean, financially, it's great for him. Obviously, he's got he's got his severance payment. But professionally, he might be thinking he should have bowed out last season when he left Palace. Um, Jules, Jay Evans has been in touch. He says, uh, realistically, who do you think would be the best manager Everton could get? Is Emery a pipe dream? No, I don't know why it would be a dream. I'm not sure Emery is attracted by the Premier League right now. Um, and I think he realised in Paris, especially, that the language barrier, at least for him... Even if he spoke a bit, a bit of French was a was an issue. So I'm not sure how his English is, but I can't see him coming over pretty soon. I think Marco Silva is obviously the one mentioned a lot now because he was the he was the first choice before Allardyce, uh, and I can see why. I think he's a very very talented, bright young manager, and I think he would do very well there. Uh, it's just basically for me, the the pitch is very easy. He's the they have to find the complete opposite to Allardyce, which I've always said on this show was a dreadful appointment and one that made no sense whatsoever. I, I agree with Daniel. I don't think they were in trouble at all. And and I think they should have had someone better back then anyway. So it's right that they, they let him go. And I'm, I'm glad I don't like the guy anyway. <laughs> Daniel, um, Marco Silva does seem to be the favourite. Um, he was, of course, heavily linked before. Is that a wise move? I think it's more of a gamble than it was, um, simply because of what followed. I, th- I think we can rule out or keep his goodwill from the Watford days because it became so obvious that he wanted that job. It became so obvious even that there were two or three senior players who were prepared to move with him to Everton. Um, Everton made the mistake of not lining up Marco Silva before they sacked Ronald Koeman. They, it, it might sound slightly underhand, but, but Premier League clubs now cannot afford to sack a manager and then start thinking. There has to be an overlap period. They have to con- either sound out the club or sound out the manager. And it looks like they sound out the manager without sounding out Watford. And Watford, fair enough, said, we get enough TV money. We don't want your 13 million. We're not going to be made to look <laughs> fools. So as a matter of principle, you can go. And then three months later, he left. I think he still retains enough goodwill even given that Watford period. And look, if a manager feels the benefit of being wanted by his club, Silva now knows he has been first choice for Everton twice. So he is wanted by Everton. They see him as the answer and that that helps to hit the ground running, I think. It, it was an 11-game winless run that led mm. to his sacking uh, at Watford and, and lots of rumours his head had been turned and his focus had gone. Um, but whoever the new manager is, Matt... What do they have to do with that score? Because a lot of money's been spent and they've managed to go backwards somehow. Yeah, this is right. And and the the way that Allardyce has sort of conducted himself and whatever has deflected a lot of the criticism of the of the people in charge of Everton. Certainly, the people certainly the people in charge of the um, the transfer policy, which was all over the place last summer. So they've got a lot of work to do. I guess the first thing on the in tray for Marco Silva or whoever it would be would, would be what's happening with Wayne Rooney rather than who's coming in because you don't want that to be lingering over them all summer as would be a, a classic British transfer saga. Um, so yeah, get him sorted out and then you can... It's more about... It might even be more about getting people out than, than getting people in certainly to start with. They have already appointed Marcel Brands as their new director of football, the ex-PSV guy, and, and that has facilitated the removal of Steve Walsh, which has gone very badly indeed since his move from Leicester. Um, so I think 
that is with a move to having a, a continental coach who would be happy working under that sporting director rather than just a, a head of recruitment and analysis, which Walsh was. Uh, that clearly fits the bill better. So they've started the ball rolling. Uh, let's turn our eye to West Ham. Um, David Moyes, not maybe strictly speaking, sacked like Sam. I mean, there, there seems to be different things coming out of this. He hasn't had his short-term contract renewed, um, and uh, there have been reports that he didn't want his short-term contract renewed as well. Who looks worse here, West Ham or Moyes? Uh, I think West Ham will always look worse initially when we judge them, simply because of past behaviour. Um, they, what the, what they've done effectively is done what Everton didn't do, which is give a manager a six-month contract rather than a two-and-a-half-year contract, thus avoiding what is rumoured to be a £6 million payoff for Sam Allardyce. That they've done right. Um, but they've managed to lose all goodwill in the process. And, and the difficulty for me is that fans being told what they, what they should believe and what they should want. David Moyes clearly earned a bit more goodwill than Sam Allardyce at West Ham because he had a harder job and he did it better. But if you're outside the top six of the financial elite now, if you're lucky, you'll win one trophy every three or four years. And if you're also lucky, the knock-on effect of that won't be Europa League football and then a dismal league position because you're all knackered. With that in mind, why not give things a go? Why not have a manager who plays attractive attacking football? Why not appoint a continental coach if, if all that happens, if it goes as bad as it possibly can, is that you then appoint one of these firefighters and you stay up anyway? So I don't have any problem with West Ham sacking Moyes. By all accounts, David Moyes wanted complete control of transfers. Uh, and quite frankly, that was never going to happen and should never have happened. The one club that might have given him that because they are foolish enough to do so is West Ham. But thankfully, they've not not done that. Matt, it's a tangled tale. He finished uh, nine points clear of the relegation zone, which is obviously very good compared to where it could have been. But he leaves with a lower win percentage than Afram Grant. In fact, only Zola has a worse one, in fact. However, there is an argument uh, made by uh, Jacob Steinberg and The Guardian particularly that he actually did quite well with what was you know, arguably a shockingly assembled, very old, unfit squad. Yeah, not just that, but the toxicity off the pitch as well is something that those other managers that you mentioned didn't have to deal with. So I think it's actually, it works out well for all parties in that West Ham weren't that wedded to David Moyes and he can leave having succeeded in that job rather than we get to November and they've won, you know, one of their first 12 games or whatever and he gets the sack and then his reputation gets damaged again. Um, But you wonder where he goes next. I mean, maybe if David Wagner leaves Huddersfield, it'd be quite an easy fit for him in there, but... Yeah, I wonder whether he's restored his reputation sufficiently during the half season he's had at West Ham to get another decent job. Well, it's certainly better than it was when he left Sunderland. But it's funny to think, Jules, in 2013, he signed a six-year deal with Manchester United. Technically, he should be coming into the last year of that. Um, But where does he go now? To a mid-table team you know I think even yeah Huddersfield would be happy to I think he could do maybe a little bit better than Huddersfield but I don't think he can do much better than than that and okay I think he deserves credit for Arnautovic the way he turned Arnautovic season which I think it's uh, he did really well on that I don't think again it was a no-brainer that Arnautovic could do a very good job as a lone striker uh, but yeah, he's the one who put him there instead of playing wide and I think he deserves a bit of credit for that I think they've, they've done some good things Masuaku as a sort of um, Masuaku as a left wing back, I think is another very good finding for Moyes. And Masuaku's done really well, um, probably better than a lot of people would have thought he would. So there were some good things, uh, but I agree with the boys. I think he was right for West Ham to uh, to stop the 
the Moyes adventure. West Ham were, um, were were eager to start Benitez adventure a few years ago. Didn't quite get him. Um, could they get him this time? And would Benitez be completely insane to go there? I think who? I, I mean, I, no offense, West Ham fans. Not before you abuse me there. on, it's. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know who uh, would want to go there. Okay. Really do. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. But fine. like Marseille is toxic off the pitch. The, the 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 boardroom is toxic as well. And okay, you've got good players. I think there's a good squad there. But you don't know how much money will be available. There's still some aging players in that squad. I mean, defensively, I don't know. It's a hell of a it's a hell of a job. All right. Uh, David Moyes has gone. Uh, he'll be missed by some, of course, but probably not Joe Hart. Uh, he. Uh, blamed Moyes for his exclusion from the England World Cup squad and we'll be talking about that when we come back You're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power the home of the Money Back Special keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more World Cup fever has begun the England squad has been named um, with uh, a really interesting video that I I realise not everyone will agree and I respect that but I really liked it I thought it was really good. Like football's so dark and cynical and abrasive and divisive that to have just like two and a half minutes of bright-eyed, enthusiastic people who haven't had all the hope and joy kicked out of them by reality was like, oh, I I really liked it. I feel like I'm like one bag of Werther's originals away from being a grandfather. (laughs) But Matt, are you with me? I thought it was quite sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like I like the Harry Maguire. We're not like this is not the Harry Ball World Cup. We're not here to be sweet. It's not. But but this is as good as it gets for England. The squad announcement is is when we're you know we're we're all convinced. You turn a World Cup squad announcement into like you know some sort of CBBC stuff. (laughs) This is not. I don't think that was the idea. Yeah, I'm not talking Jules round here. Let's look at the squad itself. I think the most striking thing for me is that. 20 years ago, see, I really am becoming a grandfather. Uh, we had Shearer, Sheringham, Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand, Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, Stan Collymore, Chris Sutton, Matt Letizia. You couldn't get half of you couldn't even get half of them into the squad. And now, and I love Danny Welbeck. I really, really love him on so many levels. But I mean, he's basically there because there's no one else. There's not even anyone on the standby list. I'm, I am remaining positive about everything England and. I have no issue with Welbeck there. He is uh, the top international scorer in that squad. He's scored five Premier League goals this season. He scored 17 international goals, which is more than anyone else in the squad. Mm. That's that's why he's there. And because he has shown for England that um, whereas more talented players have failed, he actually hasn't fallen away in the biggest games, um, both in qualifying and at at tournaments. Uh, So that's why he's there. There isn't anyone else. there's no the fact that there's no attacker in the standby list indicates that there's no one else. Uh, Daniel Sturridge, bless him, is struggling to be a professional footballer at the moment. He, you know, he hasn't even got thoughts of international football, and that's the only one there. You, you weren't taken by the case of Glenn Murray. No, I wasn't taken by the case <laughs> of Glenn Murray. Um, I mean, I, 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 just, I just don't know. <laughs> I, I really like the squad. I really do. I think Southgate. As an England manager, you can never be right. There's always someone that's going to tell you you're wrong. And as years go by and social media increases, people are more inclined to be angry when they tell you that. But I think it's a great squad. Um, in 2010, England had 16 players who were aged 28 or over in the squad. And now I think we've got three. And I'm not even sure if any of those will start the first game. So it's, I just love it. It's fresh. All right. Well, one very fresh name, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Matt. Yeah, really pleased for Ruben. I think that was the only one that I might have swapped. I might have gone for Lalana, not knowing how fit he is, but if he's fit enough for the standby list, then presumably he, he is fit enough to go if needed. But um, Loftus-Cheek, 
he just fits the Southgate model, doesn't he? He's come through all, all the um, age groups with him. I think a big bonus for him as well, and, and to a lesser extent maybe with Gary Cahill, is that they've been working with Steve Holland for a number of years too when he was at Chelsea. Um, and Loftus-Cheek in particular trained with the first team every day last season for Chelsea. So Steve Holland knows him inside and out, you know, even more so than, than Gareth Southgate does. He wouldn't be there if, if Oxlade-Chamberlain was fit, but he's not. Um, hopefully he can stay fit because that's been a problem for Loftus-Cheek because he's, he's huge, physically giant, and just in terms of growing into his body and stuff, he's had a few few problems with injury related to that. But um, he can make an impact for England if he's needed. I'm not sure how much time if any he'll get but he's he's good enough to do something I think. Do you think this will help him you know get back in the Chelsea reckoning? I think at the moment he's nailed on for a start for Chelsea next season um, personally that's that's not based on anything other than than my opinion but um, I think that um, there's certainly an argument to say that he could take back Yoko's place if Chelsea are going to play the same way next year. It's a quite quite compelling one. Uh, Gary Cahill's back as well. Um, Quite right too I think. Yeah yeah he's he's one of very few um, defenders in the England squad who plays in a back three. He started seven of the last eight Premier League games for Chelsea so he's back in he's been playing well he can play in the middle or on the left of the back three he's not the greatest um, defender in the world but you look at, at, at the other options he's the best of them he's won the Premier League twice the Champions League the Europa League uh, he's got over 50 caps so I think he's actually going to be an important part of the squad Jules there's a lot of optimism in this room yeah. are, are you <laughs> going to come it. and burst our bubble? I don't want to I don't want to like you but, know you're all so excited and so happy and it's great <laughs> and you're going to not come out of your group so it's okay <laughs> It's okay, it's okay, because then you can watch the other teams, you know, the proper teams, the proper players. And No, I'm only kidding. I, I agree with Dan. I like the squads. Uh, there's a lot of defenders for me, and it's maybe because that's that's what you're good at. Well, we haven't got any strikers. Exactly. So, you know, you've got to fill those gaps somehow. I don't have a problem with Welbeck. You know, I think people underestimate how hard it is to, to make a 23-man squad. Uh, it's not just the 23 best players that you have in your country. It's far more complicated than that. You need to find a balance. You need to find... Pairs, you need to find people who will get on and also some people who, you know, have different characters. You can't just get 23 happy, jolly guys. But you need you need the balance. You need some very selfish players. You need some very team players. You need some, you know, it's very complicated. People think, oh, yeah, well, I'll take him and him and him because so and so and so. And I, and I, I don't think it's that easy, really. I don't. And whether you're, you're the Panama manager, the guy Southgate, Didier Deschamps, Chichi, it's, I think it's very complicated to do that squads. Uh, to do a World Cup squad or a Euro squad. But yeah, there's, there's things I like. I like Trina Alexander-Arnold being there. Um, with Trippi and Walker, you've got the, you know, the most right-backs in all squads of the World Cup, <laughs> which is good. You can, you you can win a World know. Cup with right-backs, exactly. Um, I think it's the least experienced since 1962 or something like that, which, again, I don't, see, I don't have an issue with that. Let's be honest, it's not like experience has been doing us any good exactly. up until now. Uh, Daniel? So, yeah. The thing I like most about the squad is, is the Gareth Southgate, ever since he took over, talked about tactical versatility and wanting players that can play multiple roles. And there's a reason why he's chosen a lot of players who play under Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Richie Pochettino. And you look through that squad and you think, Alexander-Arnold's played two positions for Liverpool, uh, Fabian Dell's played two positions for Manchester City, You've got John Stones, who can play pretty much anywhere across the back line. Yeah, well. yeah Carl oh, Walker. Yeah. Carl Walker's played centre back or right back. Dele Alli can, and Lingard can pretty much play anywhere across the line. Sterling's played central for City as well as playing wide. There's so much versatility there, and. England in the past, I think, have, have, it's been too easy to pick their first team and know where everyone is going to play and know how they're going to play. So, if nothing else, that is refreshing. 
Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Matt Davis, Mm. you strike me as the kind of person who used to read Roy of the Rovers comics in his bed with a torch when he was supposed to be asleep. Um, you know what? I did, but I was looking at this earlier when Ben Ben mentioned about Roy of the Rovers, and I only remember the days when Rocky, uh, Roy Jr., as he was also known, was was at his peak. Um, but I did some digging. At what a, what a turbulent life Roy Sr. had. Roy has been through a lot. Goodness Daniel, <laughs> did did you read Roy of the Rovers? No, I was a, I was a, a somehow even more nerdy than that. I used to get Match magazine, and I had a table in my room and a sponge ball. And I used to they, they put all the game, all the goals from every game in the football league. I used to play out every match in my bedroom. I think we'll just move on as quickly <laughs> as we can. Well, I have some Roy of the Rovers news. Roy is back. The publishers Rebellion, who are the guys behind 2000 AD, have rebooted Roy. The world has changed. Roy is 16. Melchester Rovers are in the fourth division, and you will never guess whose logo is all over their shirt. It's a totally football show. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, We are the new sponsors of Melchester Rovers. You'll all be hearing a lot about this over the next season. Um, There's three graphic novels coming out. I've seen some of the artwork. I probably shouldn't say this. It's really, really exciting. It's a few old favourite faces coming back for overexcited nerds like me if you want to find out more it should have been announced by now if not i'm in a lot of trouble um, follow roy of the rovers on twitter or roy of the rovers official on facebook or just carry on listening to the show because as i say we are going to mention it a bit is the, is the new guy going to have a bit more luck well i found out that roy senior got divorced shot he was a victim of a terror attack which <laughs> killed eight of his teammates in a fictional middle eastern country he was in a helicopter crash where he lost his foot a car crash that killed his wife he was then estranged from his son but he took over melchester rovers from an evil consortium and was reunited with roy junior who went on to play at front and daniel chose to read football stats <laughs> instead of that madness let's talk about an actual game europa league jules Yes. Um, it did not work out for poor old Marseille. It just went wrong very, very quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Fifteen, the first fifteen great minutes, I thought, where the game plan, which was to you know play high and with intensity and you know get the ball high as high as back as high as possible, I think worked. That, that incredible chance for Valère Germain, who, by the way, Valère Germain is Bruno Germain's son, who used to play for Marseille and Monaco, who's a defensive midfielder. And Bruno Germain lost the European Cup final with Marseille in 1991. And it's actually really rare, father and son who played in a European final through their career. Any ideas? Marcus Alonso's granddad and uh, father for Barca and Real Madrid. Marquitos and, and Marcos Senior, That's I think. Nice, nice. Yeah. But I don't think they played in a European final, though. Yeah, and one played for they Barca, played for one Spain. played for Real Madrid. Both in, yeah, I think pretty sure they did. Anyone else? No, go on. The Busquets, ah. the Sanchez, um, Good Johnsons, Adrian Good Johnson and his dad. His dad oh, played yeah. with Anderlecht in two European finals. Eee. So there's a few, but it's quite rare. And now they were hoping the Germans that, you know, the son would obviously level the score after the dad lost and he missed a big chance early on. 
which might not have changed anything, but might have changed everything. Probably would. Maybe. I mean, however, yeah. one consolation, it wasn't as bad a miss as uh, Clinton's miss. Yeah. 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 Poor old, poor old thing. It was just, you know what, they were always the underdogs and Atletico always the favourite. And and I think you saw that. I think the, the, the final score is a bit harsh on Marseille. I don't think they deserve to lose 3-0. Uh, but it's quite clear that the best team won. And Antoine Griezmann, who grew up and was born... 70 kilometers away from Lyon in Macon, who had all his family there, who scored two goals in that stadium with France at the Euros against Ireland, scored two more and, and you know, just won that game for Atletico. Daniel, it was kind of the game we all expected, Atletico Madrid being um, distinctly Atletico Madrid about everything. I agree with you. The only thing that slightly surprised me was that having gone a goal up, I expected Simeone to go into final mode where everyone sits behind the ball but I think he realised that that I think he was kind of surprised at how easily the first goal came and thought well, actually this game's here for the taking now um, so they didn't they didn't go into that that stereotypical final mode but Atletico now have conceded two goals in their four U- European finals under Simeone which is astonishing really he is he is the great overachiever of European football well he's been there seven years now as mm. well which is a really really long time by by you know any standard. He's 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 almost getting into the stage now where you you can hardly imagine him at any other club. Um, he's almost getting um, typecast into that Atletico Madrid role now, and there isn't an obvious club for him to join. And but while he's doing so well, I know he's talked about Inter in the past. But while he's doing so well, why would he move? Matt uh, Griezmann, uh, undisputed man of the match, um, but possibly his last match and it was one of those ones where you're trying to overinterpret all the body language like what's he doing when he gets subbed off how is he with his teammates he's going though isn't he yeah it certainly looked that way but it's a, it's a nice way to go out same for Fernando Torres as well who got who got a token substitute appearance to um to win a European trophy with his with his hometown team which is nice um word for Dimitri Payet as well as, as soon as Oof. he went off you thought this doesn't end well but let's hope it's not the, bad the, enough to mean he's out of the World Cup too there has been a report that he touched the trophy before oh, the game started. Why would you, you do know that? what that means? <laughs> well, it's like the old AC Milan 2005 trick. They, they, you, someone needs to bring in regulations for that. <laughs> uh, Matthias Williams got in touch, Jules. He said, "Where would Atletico Madrid finish in the English Premier League?" Wow, that's a good question. Uh, they would finish probably second, wouldn't they? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I, I still think City would probably be better, but Chelsea played very well against them. Maybe a time in the season where they were not as strong as they seem to have finished the season. But it would be very interesting. Yeah, second or third, I would say. Um, Daniel, the Europa League has a bad reputation in this country as a kind of bloated, misbegotten, finance-generating excuse for clubs who aren't clever enough to get out of heavily seeded Champions League groups. Is that fair? Uh, it's certainly fair since third place going to um, the Euro- from the Champions League into the Europa League. I vehemently disagree with that. Uh, it, it, that just completely waters down the competition. I still like it. It feels like the the wonderful alternative to the uh, to the financially bloated Champions League, to be honest. And and Marseille has been a you know a fabulous story, mm. um, going from start to finish in that competition and playing you know playing to nearly empty stadiums and everyone buying into it. Uh, it's a shame that English clubs don't do that, and I, I don't suspect they will next season either. You know what's funny is that Atletico winning it it gives France mm. and Ligue 1 an automatic place in next season Champions League for the third team. So half the team that are going to finish third, whether that's Monaco, Lyon or Marseille, instead of going through the qualifier, the third round first, and then the playoff against teams from England, Italy or Spain, basically. That's how Nice lost to Napoli last season at that stage. You no, know, it goes directly straight into um, 
into the group stage of the Champions League. So we'll have three teams. Mm. Because it's not just France. It's like if, if the, 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 the team who win the Europa League is already in the Champions League through their leagues, then it goes to the team, it goes to the country that is fifth in the coefficient, UEFA coefficient, which happens to be France. Well, so towards the end by losing, of the show, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about what's going on in the French league yeah. as it approaches the end, um, and where that place might go. Um, the Europa League then wasn't perhaps the tussle that we all wanted it to be. But speaking of tussles, Matt, you host Parts Unknown, oh, our that wrestling was a podcast, seamlessly. wasn't it? Wasn't it? Just, just glided across there. <laughs> uh, producer Ben's really excited about this week's show, which is a look back at WrestleMania 29. Yeah. Um, which is, well, I don't understand, so tell me. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, as you'll be aware, but clearly not. We had uh, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the most successful film star in the world at the moment, uh, fighting John Cena for the second year in a row. CM Punk dragging the last genuinely great match out of The Undertaker. But um, for those of you not not au fait with wrestling this this year this Wrestlemania was uh, memorable for the fact that Donald Trump was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame celebrity wing um, this was back in the days when all we had to worry about was his inability to effectively sell the Stone Cold Stunner um, yeah <laughs> I know all of these are words <laughs> at, at the time he said it was his greatest honour yeah. going into the WWE Hall of Fame. If only if only it had stopped there. I've been warned by producer Ben not to get too political on this, so, uh, <laughs> so I would just say parts unknown. Uh, you know where to find it, where you find all of your podcasts. Uh, give that a lesson if you like giant men in leotards throwing each other across a ring. Anyway, while we're talking about other pods from us here at Muddy Knees Media, check out James Horncastle on this week's Galazzo. He's got Nathaniel Chaloba talking about his year in Napoli working with Maurizio Sarri, so don't miss that. And on Friday, we'll be releasing a special one-on-one interview with our number one, David Priest, and his old mentor, Tony Coton. Uh, they're talking about what it's like to spend a lifetime between the sticks and how Tony sunk into a deep depression when injury ended his career and illness made him cool time on coaching uh, here's a taster for you you never you kept it all in didn't you you never went to a, a coach because you didn't want to be seen as a sissy so so yeah. to speak you know it's that macho thing where you just you had to deal with it yourself and you had to come through it the morning after my mum died I went into training because I thought I'll get dropped or you know I'm missing training or but that's what you did and you know I'd left my dad on his own you know and he needed somebody so that's that was that was the nature of that macho hide everything and deal with it, so to speak, wasn't it? And I go back to everything now. It's not now. And um, what, what do they say? A problem shared is a problem out. So I can only say, again, the message is open up, talk about it. That podcast coming out on Friday as part of Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK and it's in association with one of our charity partners, Calm. You can find out more about them at thecalmzone.net. Daniel, have you been watching the playoffs? I have been watching the playoffs. Uh, I didn't watch Rotherham versus Scunthorpe, but the team I wanted to win did win. Yeah, the championship playoffs... It never ceases to amaze me that Tony Poulis, even at one 0 down, can play for a draw. That is a man. <laughs> that is a man prepared um, to keep up his reputation. But 
I think Fulham Villa is a final we're all wanting. It's going to be a great game. Yeah. They're two really entertaining teams. Um, they obviously will battle out for a place in the Premier League, not this weekend, but next weekend. It's Shrewsbury against Rotherham for a place in the Championship. Shrewsbury were relegation favourites that, at the start the of the season. That's the final we all wanted as well, isn't it's it? incredible. In Paul Hurst, what a job he's done there. Uh, interestingly, if Rotherham go up, it will mean that all three of the relegated teams from the Championship have pinged straight back, which almost never happened. May never have happened. There's no Duncan to ask. Uh, there's everything to play for in League Two. Tonight you can watch Exeter Lincoln, a second leg which can only be better than the first leg. And on Friday you've got Kevin Nolan's Notts County against Cursed Coventry. Uh, over on the Totally Football League show we'll be treating the playoffs like the BBC used to treat the FA Cup final in the 1980s. We will have individual preview shows for every single one of them with me and Matt Stanger and Caroline Barker. So look out for them. Before that though, who's excited about the FA Cup final? Woo! Yeah. Two woos and a yeah. I'll take that. Um, Jules, this might be the last meeting of uh, Mourinho and Conte, uh, at least in England, um, which is a shame, really, because it's given us so many highlights. Like in October 2016, where Mourinho, uh, having been gubbed 4-0, said, you don't celebrate like that at 4-0. You can do it at 1-0, otherwise it's humiliating for us. Mourinho, never a man to humiliate anyone else. Um, He had a dig at Conte's hair uh, about a year later saying, I could answer in many different ways, but I'm not going to lose my hair to speak about Antonio Conte, which, when you read back, doesn't even make any sense. It's just nasty. Back in January 2018, Mourinho was saying just because he didn't behave like a clown on the touchline, it hadn't meant that he'd lost his passion, and then, apropos of nothing, started talking about match-fixing. Conte was responding by calling Mourinho senile and a fake and a little... I'm going to miss this. Me too. It's great. It's great. I mean, they should they should be invited to WrestleMania at some point. You know, with <laughs> Trump and The Rock and The Undertaker. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, yeah, you know, it's great. I mean, if if it is the last one, I think it's great that it's in the FA Cup final like that at Wembley, where you know all the eyes of the country will be fixed on that stadium. Everybody's going to watch. Uh, tactically, I think it could be a fascinating game. Um, and and you know what? I would love Conte if if that was his last game to go and 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 to win the FA Cup and then go and and two FA Cup, one win, one loss, and then a, a Premier League title for him. And I think his Chelsea tenure, you know, would be a success. And you know, if they don't win it, then it might make it a bit more difficult. But yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Daniel, there are people who've appeared on this show who have been accused of being quite quite mean-spirited about Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. If he wins the FA Cup, that will be an FA Cup and a second-place finish. I mean, by any reasonable expectation, that's a pretty decent season, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, we can't just call it a second-place finish without looking at the gap between the top. There's no doubt about that. And that's not being mean about Jose Mourinho. That's being realistic about Manchester United and their how they would want to be treated as title challengers every single season Um, but I I do think they'll win the FA Cup on Saturday Uh, Mourinho is as we know a man of finals he's a man who whatever is happening can pull a performance out when he absolutely needs one out of his team Um, and also the beauty for him about something like the FA Cup final is that for a change this season there's no talk of style there's no talk of how they attack. There's no talk of how many shots on target and chances created they had. It is literally just, did we win this match? Did we win this trophy? And that's where Mourinho comes into his own and I fully expect them to do it again with or without Romelu Lukaku, who I suspect will be fit. Matt, um, Chelsea, having very briefly made it look like they were going to crash back into the top four, 
didn't mm. um, and, and actually ended the season very, very poorly. They're not going to be favourites or even close here, are they? Uh, they're certainly not favourites, no, but it's, um, it's an interesting one because they'd won certainly four league games, maybe five in a row before they were so terrible at Newcastle on the last day of the season. So it's sort of tough to assess where they are form-wise from, from that perspective. Um, it, I wonder tactically what Conte is going to do. He went 3-4-3 at Old Trafford early in the season and lost, 3-5-2 at Stamford Bridge and won. Um, it's kind of difficult to pick the form because United have won both games at Old Trafford over the last two seasons. Chelsea won both in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge but then beat United there in the quarterfinal uh, last season when Herrera got, got sent on early. Um, there's a lot of decisions for, for Conte to make, not just tactically as well. Um, Cahill or Christensen, Giroud or Morata, you would think that he'd probably go for, for Giroud. But I, I'm not expecting a classic final by any means. They, they both, both their runs to the final have been pretty underwhelming. Chelsea beaten Norwich on penalties after a replay. Newcastle's reserves, Hull, Leicester and Southampton. United, Derby, Yeovil, Huddersfield, Brighton and Spurs. United only conceded one goal to get to the final. Chelsea only two, so... We might go to extra time like we did in 07, when oh. they, the first final at the oh. new Wembley. Same teams, Mourinho in the different dugout, horrible game. That Chelsea was won. one of the worst <laughs> football games I've ever seen. Mm. In fact, had it not been for Switzerland against Ukraine in the 2006 World Cup, <laughs> I think the last time these two teams met in the FA Cup final would have been the absolute nadir of my footballing life. Um, Jules, can you think of a worse game than the 2007 FA Cup? Or Oh, uh like, what's the one that's really just made you question your will oh, to live? France-Romania, first game of the 2008 Euros in Switzerland. Yes. It was so hot as well that day. And the game was so bad, it ended up on nil-nil. I don't think there was one shot on target. It was really bad. And obviously, France was so bad in that tournament with Dominic. But yeah, that's one of my... The one I remember as being like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Daniel. England, Algeria. Yeah. Oh, England, Algeria. Yeah, that's a stinky one. <laughs> Daniel. I, I was literally going to say England, Algeria, because that was the time when I get excited about every World Cup. And I, I even thought, why am I supporting England? If this, if this is what's going to happen. <laughs> why was I born here? Yeah. Um, but back to Chelsea, Matt. And you may wish to recuse yourself from this. Um... This is probably Conte's last game, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have any insider knowledge to, to, to say that it is or it isn't, but certainly given given what's happened over the course of this season and, and mainly by that, his demeanour, it would seem that it might be, but he's insistent that he's got another year on his contract and I think, as, as Jules has said on, on the show over the last couple of weeks, he, the options that he's got to go to immediately are quite limited, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not looking like it's the happiest of marriages at the moment, um, it'd be interesting to see what direction they go if they do make a change. Mm. Yeah, I mean, generally, and, and this does happen quite a lot at Chelsea, uh, approximately every 18 months, and, and they go for like the shiniest managerial property available at that time. But but you'll go a different direction, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think they've got, if they want to shift the culture of the club, which um, in terms of the amount of money that they've been spending, you'd suggest that they are doing, I think they've got the answer in, in Jody Morris, who's in charge of the under-18 team. And you say that's a massive step up. Obviously, you'd need a, a competent and experienced director of football to go in with him. But he, this season, and you can say it counts for nothing, but but I don't agree with that personally. He's led Chelsea's under-18s to the quadruple. They literally won every trophy that they, they competed for. The Premier League Cup, the Regional Premier League, the National Premier League, plus the Youth Cup, which they won for the fifth season in a row, which nobody's done since the Busby Babes. They were 56 games unbeaten at home. Um, and there is a bit more of a pathway in terms of you've had Kyle Scott, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Dujon Sterling and Ethan Ampadu all play for the first team this season, all players who Joe 
Jody's worked with. Um, You know, you've got Loftus-Cheek, Tammy Abraham have won England caps. Olerena will be going to the World Cup with Nigeria. They're all realistic possibilities to come into Chelsea's squad next season. And it's not just the fact that he is, you know, Chelsea have, say, hoovered up all this talent. You look at the bulk of the squad, most of them have been there since they were under eight. They've got a terrific team of academy coaches led by Neil Bath, but Joe Edwards, who's 31 and led the under-19s to the UEFA Youth League final this season. John Harley, Tori Andre Flo. There's a really nice system of coaching and way of playing already built into the club there's a little bit of a gap between that and the first team at the moment although um, the players who I've just mentioned will tell you that Antonio Conte has them training with them an awful lot but that just seems like a really natural progression if they want to change the model of the club to having all these brilliant young players who they've got some of whom are definitely capable of being in and around the first team Mason Mount's another one 14 goals at Vitesse this season taking them to the Europa League pretty much single-handedly yeah Jody would be my tip to do that all right, um, the, it's not just success at youth level for Chelsea because Chelsea ladies just completed another league and cup double. Yeah, they did Tuesday night, one two nil at Bristol City to um, to win the WSL one title, unbeaten so far. Twelve wins from seventeen, six points clear of Man City. Won the FA Cup against Arsenal the other week. Got to the semis of the um, Women's Champions League for the first time. All this with the manager who's expecting twins next month. Um, the captain Katie Chapman uh, announced her retirement after winning five league titles, ten FA Cups, six. League Cups and the Champions League and having three kids. Um, so she's done pretty well. But the whole the WSL this season, I think, has been much, much more competitive, certainly than it was in the spring series. Uh, you've had the likes of Reading and Birmingham who've made real challenges this season. Arsenal have looked good. Liverpool have had their moments too. So it's actually been a much more interesting competition to watch this time round. But um, a thought for Yeovil, part-timers in a league of full-timers, bottom of the table, their record, no wins, two draws, 15 defeats, Oof. one goal scored, 50 two conceded they scored their first goal of the season in a 3-1 defeat at Everton last week but the disparity between them and everybody else is ridiculous but generally WSL has been well worth watching this season all right we're almost done uh, but we've got one more section and it's Europe join us in a minute James was talking on Monday about the etymology of Grimsby's name, uh, and Sue Adams has written in. Uh, she said, I simply felt I had to defend Grimsby's name. Grim was a fairly well-known personal name for Vikings, unsurprisingly. It could mean ugly, um, but also stand for a scary, not-amused type of personal situation. And yes, we all know it's Grim up north, she says. It's not, it's lovely. So, the settlement was founded by a scary Viking called Grim, and it was named Grimstown. Grimsby in the Viking language. So uh, there you go. One Grimsby lesson for you. Uh, From Grimsby to uh, Belarusia, uh, Diego Maradona has been named as the chairman of Dynamo Brest. Let's hope he doesn't make a tit of himself. (laughs) Jules, France. Yes. Every week I listen to the show. Every week they take the mickey out of the French League. I know. But this weekend... It's worth watching, isn't it? It was last weekend as well. We had an, another incredible twist in that race for second between Lyon, Monaco and Marseille. Uh, Marseille drawing 3-3 at Guingamp after being 2-0 up. And then, I mean, the, the drama of the Strasbourg-Lyon game on Saturday evening where Lyon were 2-1 up uh, in the 89th minute and then Strasbourg scored two goals to win 3-2 to stay up. And in the meantime, Monaco scored a late winner in the 91st minute on penalty against Saint-Étienne to overtake Lyon in second. It was just all happening. It was amazing. And then this is the last uh, match day on Saturday night. Everybody playing at the same time. And while well, it looked like Lyon, who are third now, we struggled to get back to that second place. 
uh, and overtake uh, Monaco. Although, as we mentioned before, it doesn't really matter so much now if you finish second or third because both of them will go straight into the group stage of the Champions League. But it's, it's for Marseille that you feel a bit because now they're obviously three points behind um, Monaco and two behind Lyon. And it looks like they could have won everything. They could have finished in the top three in France and win the Europa League. And they would have lost the Europa League and probably finished fourth in the league and only qualify for the for the Europa League next season. So it would be a bit disappointing. But it's going to be you know great. And there's still stuff to play in the relegation as well. Who finished fifth and sixth with Nice and... And Rennes being there, so no, it should be, it should, it should be cool. It should be cool. Excellent, right? Uh, over to Italy. Um, breaking news: Buffon is leaving Juve. The old man will play his last game for the old lady at home to Verona on Saturday. If you do want to find out more about him, there's a Galazzo episode. They're all non-time sensitive. There's a big one on there, so check that out. Uh, Daniel Story, you're not 100% convinced that he will retire, though, are you? Well, it, the announcement says that he will leave Juventus, which seems a very odd thing to say. I thought that he, they, he, they would have allowed him to own that situation and retire as gracefully as you can, having shouted it's in the face of Michael Oliver. Um, the interesting thing for me is that is his replacement, which is Roger Chesney, who Arsenal sold for £10 million two years ago, having loaned him out as a, a bit of a slightly immature boy and seen him grown up in Serie A. Uh, and Arsenal now need a goalkeeper, and Juventus's new goalkeeper will be one that they let go for a relative peanuts it's do, do you think so they Arsenal I think they might make a swoop for Buffon no I think they've already <laughs> done their 35 year old goalkeeper slightly waning trick with Petr Cech <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere Inter need to beat Lazio by six goals to get the final Champions League place which is currently occupied by Lazio uh, if Lazio win they could pip Roma to third though they need Roma to lose at Sassuolo which could happen because the Nero Verdi have won four out of five. This is all coming off the top of my head. No one's written this down for me. At the bottom, five teams are fighting to not be without a chair when the music stops. Will it be Kievo, Udinese, Cagliari, Spal or Crotone? Who are Crotone? Crotone. Come on, have you ever watched any Italian football ever? (laughs) Have you ever watched any League Two ever? I'm so, talking up to my tits no, in Cheltenham man. Town against Stevenage. By the way, talking about Grimsby, their yeah. manager, Michael Jolly, is one of my best friends. Is he? He's doing an He's amazing job. He's done an job. incredible yeah, job. wonderful we, job. We, we were quite worried about him. Um, there's no need. He's an amazing coach and they will be promoted next season. You've heard it first. Oh, right. That is a, but this, <laughs> is, this is Grimsby who went some 22 games without a win. Before Jolly arrived. Jolly arrived. They were terrible for a short period and then won four out of the last yeah, five. Exactly. See, that's Away the insight. Swindon, yeah. That's, that's totally Green. football league show insight exactly. there. And if they do go up, of course, we'll have the Jolly Up headlines next to yeah, yeah, Grimsby on a Jolly there. Up writes itself. Mm. We'll have to get them on the show. Did you see what happened to Sporting, by the way, and their fans? The fans attacking the team, the players, mm. Bastos being like, have a head injury because of the fans after they only finished third in the Portuguese league I did not see that they're threatening now to not play the cup final wow. the sporting players yeah yeah no he's gone mental oh, there you go really crazy stuff we've, we've packed a lot into the Italy section there. <laughs> there's no need and Horncastle is not even here like, who cares Champions League relegation Grimsby and Portugal all in Serie A this weekend uh, it's also the final weekend in Spain Real Madrid could overtake Atletico and finish second on goal difference so it's, it's all very very exciting that's your football. Now it's time to get the odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, Ian. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, how are you doing in this end of season period? I'm a bit empty about the Premier League, but I'm sure there'll be a tournament very soon to fill that void. 
Well, there's a tournament that's coming to an end this weekend. It's the FA Cup final. What's going on here with your odds? Yeah, this one is closer than Conte to the exit door. We just about favour Manchester United, who are, after all, the slightly more harmonious side. They're 12 to 8 to win the cup. Chelsea are 15 to 8. And there's a money back special on this one. Oh, there is. Money back special as a free bet if United win. That applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers. What odds, Paddy Markets, max refund £10. There's been a flurry of managerial casualties in the past couple of days. We'll, we'll come on to them in a set. Let's talk about Conte because this is highly anticipated to be his final game for Chelsea. Uh, what's going on with the next Chelsea manager market? Yeah, Antonio Gonte more like. We're now a huge one to four that he won't be manager of Chelsea next season. So that means you have to bet £4 to win a single quid. We think he's going to be replaced by Maurizio Sarri from Napoli because obviously an intense Italian guy is just what Chelsea need. What about what's going on at West Ham and Everton? <laughs> they've they've got rid of Big Sam and Big Dave, Davy Moyes. They've both gone. They could swap back. They're both very popular at their old clubs. But I think uh, Marco Silva is going to feature quite highly on at least one of these replacement lists. Yes. Uh, what is going on at these clubs indeed? They're both shopping in the same market, which could be a worry. Uh the favourite, the top two favourites for each job are identical. So the favourite for the Everton job, massively odds on Marco Silva. Uh, that's been a long-running thing. Second favourite there, Paolo Fonseca at 2-1. to one. Look at the West Ham market. Fonseca's the favourite there. Silva's the second favourite. And a certain David Moyes is the third favourite for the West Ham job he's just vacated. That is very weird. Uh, I'll tell you what else is weird. Fabian Delph and Ashley Young in the England squad. <laughs> Has that done anything to the uh, to England being even more rock-solid favourites to win in Russia? Uh, they have drifted slightly after the squad announcement. Uh, maybe it's two unorthodox left-backs that's done that. They are 16-1 to to win the World Cup. That's seven favourites. Better value might be in to lose on penalties by Germany, just 50-1. to You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jules. Thanks, Maka. Thank you, Matt. Cheers, Ian. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. Don't forget, check out the Totally Football League show for all the news on the playoffs. And before we go, we all want to wish good luck to Noah Green and the London Soccer Stars, who are taking part in the ESF 2018 Under 8 Football Tournament at Butlins Bognor Regis. That's one way of getting out of the Royal Wedding producer, Ben. See you later. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and of course football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.